It's the rant. My name is Jeff Rackliff, and it is Friday, June 25th. TGIF, am I right? Sorry, I couldn't resist. All right, now that I lost some listeners, we got to talk about the Indianapolis Colts today. Really interesting team that, uh, well, man, this is a this is a contender. They are a contender, and they have a running back who looks like he's going to take another step forward after a big end to his rookie season in Jonathan Taylor. Carson Wentz coming off of that disaster, but a new lease on life. So before we break down this squad, let me just remind you that we do have a contest going on. It's a pretty good one. Help me out, and I'll help you out. Review the show on Apple Podcasts, rate the show, and in your review, leave your Twitter handle, and you're entered in to win a Rant t-shirt. Podcast artwork, it's pretty cool, and hey, it's free. We'll pick a winner in July, so get these in right now, Uh, and like I said, help me out, and I'll help you out, all right? All right, so let's dive into it, and let's talk about Carson Wentz at the top. Last year was a disaster. It was a disaster. But I think the big question with Carson Wentz is how much of it was his fault. Now, I'm not going to say that none of it was his fault. But is Carson Wentz truly a broken quarterback? Now, given the context of everything, the Philadelphia Eagles weren't in the best spot heading into last year. They had a beat-up and battered offensive line that never was healthy, and obviously losing key players for the entire season before the season started wasn't good. Wentz was rattled early on, and being rattled early on had a you know it, it had a compounding effect where there were points in the middle of the season where he was missing obvious open receivers. It seemed like all he wanted to do was throw the ball extremely far down the field, and that was that, and couldn't really execute anything. And then, of course, having Jalen Hurts come in, Jalen Hurts wasn't that great, but he kind of made Carson Wentz look even worse in the process. So now he goes to Indianapolis, and of course, a lot has been made of his relationship with Frank Reich. Can Frank Reich right the ship? Beyond that, though, too, Carson Wentz does have a decent group of wide receivers. They were, and I think wisely so, they they re-signed T.Y. Hilton, kept him in-house. You have a veteran presence there. T.Y. is not the T.Y. of earlier in his career, but he's still a solid player. You have an ascending young wideout in Michael Pittman and perhaps an ascending young wideout in Paris Campbell if the dude could ever stay healthy. You have solid tight end play with both Jack Doyle and Mo Cox, and then a run game to lean on as well. It's not a bad situation. But of course, leaning on that run game does mean that there isn't as much passing volume in this offense. I don't. This is not a 650 passing attempt team. This is a 550 passing attempt team. So right now, thinking that Carson Wentz is anything better than a back-end quarterback too is certainly ambitious, especially given what we saw last year. I don't think anybody out there is that bullish on him, but he may be one of those guys who slides in. You have him as a quarterback 19, quarterback 20. You take a shot on him at the end of your fantasy drafts. I could see that. I'm not going that route, but I'm not going to talk you out of it per se because you know as well as I know, as well as my freaking grandmom knows, that there's risk that comes with Carson Wentz. I think he is going to bounce back. I think he's, you know, he's not broken. 
I think he's a solid starting quarterback in the NFL. And last year was just a debacle that ultimately is a forgettable season. But that's far from a lock. Now, the nice thing is they really don't have anything behind him, so he should have a you know an extremely long runway in uh, this offense. Jacob Eason is behind him, so you know no backup. It's not they don't have Jacoby Brissett any longer. So there's that with Carson Wentz. I think he's a little risky in a two quarterback superflex as well because basically I'd be drafting him as my third quarterback, and I don't know if he quite has the ceiling that I'd be looking for in that range or the pop at his price point, especially. But like I said, he's throwing to a nice group of receivers. And I do th- think the targets are going to be spread around in this offense based on who they have. So you're going to have uh, Hilton, Pittman, Campbell involved. You're going to have both of the tight ends involved. And while that's a good thing to have all those weapons for Carson Wentz, it's not a good thing for these guys in terms of their fantasy value. Right now, T.Y. Hilton is the number one target for me in this offense, but he doesn't even top triple-digit targets. 94 targets for T.Y. Hilton. And like I said, with Hilton, we are getting the T.Y. Hilton of today, not the T.Y. Hilton of several years ago. You know, he decidedly looked like he he lost a step last year. You know, he was a guy you would basically ink in as a triple-digit target guy. Triple-digit targets from 2013 to 2018. Maxed out with 91 catches in 2016. Last year, he catches 56 balls for 761 and five touchdowns. Never been a, a TD monster, but right now, 53 catches, 733 and five touchdowns is what I'm projecting him for. That's not even good enough for top 50. And as much as I love Michael Pittman, the value of Michael Pittman is more of an implied value for the future if Carson Wentz is able to take a step forward here and get back to where he was. Not even back to where he was in 2017, by the way. Just before 2020. If Carson Wentz can get back to that point, Michael Pittman's going to be really interesting in the future. This year, though, late round dart, sure, why not? But I wouldn't expect much more than you know than that. 51 catches on 82 targets, 624, and four touchdowns for him. Paris Campbell not too far behind with 49 catches, 568, and four receiving touchdowns. Wide receiver 68 and 70 in projections. I might go a little higher just because of their implied upside. But that's about it with those guys. There's, it's not a, it's not a very appealing group for fantasy. It's more appealing for football than it is for fantasy. All right, so why don't we do this? Let's take a quick break, and then when we come back, let's break down the tight ends and how the targets get distributed between Mo Alley Cox and Mister Jack Doyle. Okay, so as I noted earlier in this particular episode of the rant. They do have pretty two pretty decent tight ends here on this roster. Jack Doyle is a solid catch and fall down type tight end, but you know, solid. I, I when I say catch and fall down, it's not really a knock on these guys. It just doesn't. He's not gonna have uh, explosive Noah Fant like runs after catch. That's just the way it is, and there's nothing wrong with that. So right now, projecting him at 44 targets, 30 catches, 319, and uh, two scores. That is not even two for 22, much less three for 32 production. He's not even averaging two catches per game. Mo'Ally Cox is barely, I mean, he's right on two catches per game. 50 targets for him, 
34 catches, 402, and three touchdowns. I mean, that's not good enough for fantasy relevance either. And this is going to be tricky because I can all but guarantee for one or both of these tight ends, there's going to be a game, maybe two games where they get big. You know, the five or six catches, 70 or 80 yards, one or two touchdowns. And what's invariably going to happen is people are going to clamor to grab these guys off waivers. And we should learn by now that every single time we have these things, the old Cinderella-type tight end, next week they turn back into a pumpkin. And they get you two for 22, three for 32, something like that. No touchdown and no fantasy value whatsoever. So when that happens, not even if, but when that happens during the season, just remember that about Moelle Cox or Jack Doyle or both. They're not draftable. Maybe they'll win somebody a million dollars on DraftKings, but they're really not guys that we want on our roster right now. I do think Mo Alley Cox does have you know a higher ceiling, but I just don't think there's enough meat on the bone because of this run game. And this is a team that is going to run the F out of the football. They are going to jam that football down their opponent's throats because they have a true throwback running back who is capable of potentially hitting 300 carries this year. Now, I'm not projecting 300 carries for Jonathan Taylor because that's pretty robust, but I do have him at 274. That's also pretty robust. 274, 1,180 rushing yards, 11 rushing scores. That's healthy right there. But the challenge with Jonathan Taylor is he has a little bit of what I call the Derek Dilemma. If you're not familiar with that, the Derek Dilemma comes from Derek Henry. Derek Henry is amazing. But sometimes in fantasy, he isn't amazing. Right? If you can contain Derrick Henry and you can you can prevent him from getting to the second level, Derrick Henry is still going to rush for like 80 yards. He'll go like 22 for 80. But because he isn't involved in the passing game, that's not a good fantasy week. If you contain him, he doesn't get up over 100 yards, he doesn't find the end zone, it's not a good fantasy week. Jonathan Taylor has some of that, right? How, how much is Jonathan Taylor going to be involved in the passing game? Is he going to average much more than two catches per game? Probably not, right? In fact, I am barely over that. 36 catches projected right now for Jonathan Taylor. Well, if he goes out and has a week like I just mentioned, you have a little bit of that Derek dilemma. And we did see some games like that last year. Even you know as we were getting into that stretch run, now, the stretch one was was amazing, and he fortunately bailed himself out in week 13 because he went 13 for 91. I mean, I guess it's pretty good efficiency, but if you just had the rushing, that's not a great fantasy week, but he did have three for 44 and a touchdown as a receiver, but that was his only touchdown of the season, so he sort of bailed us out there. Regardless, we just have to be, you know, that's the one area that I, I would exercise some caution with Jonathan Taylor. He's not a Saquon Barkley or you know any of these guys who can catch 50-plus uh, balls on the season. He's just not that player, and specifically he's not going to be that player because of this depth chart. When you look down the depth chart, Naeem Hines is there. Naeem Hines is one of the better pass-catching running backs in the NFL. He's not going to have much more than 70, 80 carries in a season, but he could catch 50-plus balls. In fact, I have him right under that 49 right now, 64 targets for him. 
So he's going to be used. You also have Marlon Mack still on this depth chart, Jordan Wilkins. I don't think they carry both of these guys. So whoever's left over is going to see about 50 carries, give or take. Right now, I have Marlon Mack as the favorite to, to keep that job. But it could be Wilkins. Either one. They're nothing more than handcuffs to Jonathan Taylor, right? We know that. Not even draftable handcuffs. These are just guys that, you know, if the crazy, if something crazy happened, obviously it's not going to be Naeem Hines taking over in the backfield. It would be either Mack or Wilkins. And not as much appeal with those guys as with, as with Jonathan Taylor. So Taylor has major juice, but Taylor is somebody who I don't want to go too overboard in in a PPR. In If you're talking non-PPR right now, okay, I get it. I get it. He's got double-digit touchdown potential. He's an absolute monster. Doesn't matter if he's not going to be used out of the backfield as a receiver. He's my number six running back in non-PPR. Also number six in half-point PPR. I just can't put him ahead of even you know Derrick Henry in that uh, format. Can't put him ahead of Saquon, Kamara, Cook, McCaffrey. However, I do think there's a more than fair argument to potentially move Ezekiel Elliott ahead of him in uh, in full PPR. Possibly even somebody like Cam Akers, or if you're really bullish on Najee Harris. I don't know if I'd go that far, though. So maybe he moves down a spot or two in PPR. But still, you know, just, just know what you're getting. Make sure you just know what you're getting. You get a lot of juice on the ground, though, with him. Kind of got like a Nick Chubb aspect to his game which isn't a bad uh, fantasy comp whatsoever. All right, so that's going to wrap things up for this week on the show. On Monday, we'll be back. We'll talk a little Jacksonville, Urban Meyer era, Trevor Lawrence era. What the heck is going on in that backfield? James Robinson keeper. Oh, no. At Jeff Rackleville on Twitter, at Jeff Rackleville on Instagram. Use that hashtag Rat Pack. That way I know you're a listener of the show. And don't forget sawdustpods.com for some merch. Get a ranch shirt. Get your ranch shirt, baby. All right, I'll catch you on the flip side of the weekend for another edition of the pod. I'm Jeff Ratcliffe, and I'm out of here.